Hello everyone, this is Sorrel here, and today you are on Voices of Transformation once again, and I have an awesome guest. I cannot wait to have this conversation. With me today, I have Ken Robinson. Ken Robinson's a good friend of mine. We've been swimming in the world of transforming ourselves and uh, working to transform life and the world around us for the better part of, uh, oh my God, 10 years, 10 years or more. Uh, Ken is the owner of Inspired Direction. Inspired Direction is a corporate training organization that specializes in training teams on the value of collaboration and agile thinking. Uh, Ken is coming to us from right here in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, is uh, ready to sink his teeth into this conversation inside of the context of Voices of Transformation, meaning for us, Ken is committed to something bigger than himself, and that connection is what gives him life, and he's here to share with us uh, what that connection to something bigger than himself is having him think through and wire into uh, given the state of the world right now. So, Ken, it's such a pleasure to have you, my friend. How are you? I am doing so well. Thank you so much for the invitation, Sorrel. Uh, thank you for being here. And, you know, it's a funny thing nowadays when you ask somebody, how are you? It, uh, you know, it's not the perfunctory, how are you? Man, I really want to hear, Ken. Mm. How are you and your family doing? How, how are you? Mm. In the, the the pandemic for us, right? Uh, yeah. The, the, the world of being quarantined has actually been really great, uh, surprisingly. I kind of figured we'd all get on each other's nerves, and, and we've had our moments, and uh, we've had an opportunity to spend a lot of time together, so that's been great. Um, uh, when it comes to finances, of course, things uh, have taken a little bit of a downturn, but um, but the lights are still on. We're all still eating uh, and drinking, and no one's starving. So, you know, I, I consider that a good thing. <laughs> you now, know, at uh, at the at the bottom of the pyramid, we've got surviving, right? That's it, right? And like that going well. Exactly, right? Like how how many um, uh, snickerdoodles do I need to eat in one day? I'm I'm good. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So your family is doing well. Uh, mm -hmm. Going okay, right? Mm hmm Now, now one of the other things that's it's come up though has been this this uh, you know when we begin to talk about uh, injustice and uh, the police brutality, which has led to the Black Lives. Uh, matter movement and uh, so there's a whole lot of uh, um, upset right that exists in the world around that and it's really interesting uh, you know because when you say you know I I'm doing well when it comes to my family and how we're operating and there are some places where um, it's troubling right it's 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 troubling uh, that we're still, I guess, struggling with some of the uh, inequalities and inequities that uh, stem from uh, racial prejudice and 
at uh, you know we call our original slant of uh, slavery in this country and really beginning to deal with that. And there's some hope for how things are moving, but it's definitely a troubling time. Yeah, it is, and uh, and it has an impact on uh, uh, psychological impact as well as uh, physical impact, uh, especially for the victims of such brutality and injustice and all that good stuff, right? And mm -hmm. and regardless of how you slice this conversation, it's inevitable that you end up with two or three sides, right? There, there's one side that's pro-X. In our case, there's the side that's pro-Black Lives Matter in the way that the movement defines it. And then there's mm -hmm. the side that's uh, against that or pro-something else, right? Mm -hmm. And, and it's often it's uh it, it's tough to reconcile the two isn't it so when 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 you look at it for yourself you could say that there are forces that want things to progress and forces that want to keep things the same mm -hmm. yeah absolutely how, how is that impacting you you know it's it's extremely interesting. So, you know, I'll just give you a sh just a short uh, brief of my background, which might kind of illuminate where I stand and, and, and frame it in, in a much broader perspective. So, you know, we, I grew up in, I uh, was born in Williamsburg, grew up in Roanoke, Virginia, which is a predominantly white town, but I grew up in the predominantly black area of uh, Roanoke, Virginia. And that was till I was about five or six. And then uh, for uh, a good portion of the rest of my, uh, really up until high school, so that was still about six. But up until high school, uh, about, let's say what, uh, 12, 13, 11, 12, somewhere, somewhere in that range, we moved every couple of years. So four times we would move. Every two years we would move. And um, we would move to the predominantly white areas. So um, I grew up, uh, as that only, right, David Goggins, David Goggins, who's a, uh, who's got a really great book called uh, Can't Hurt Me, calls it the other. And I think we all, as human beings, have some place where we are the other. We, we perceive ourselves mm -hmm. as the other, and there's this break, right? And for me, it was always being that one Black kid or one of two Black kids in this all-white area. You'd have to deal with with that. You know, you've got principals call you nigger and, you know, just, you know, a, a lot of that. And it wasn't an isolated incident. You just dealt with it. Not a big deal. And even through high school, you know, going up through the, the, the all the, the struggles that come with being an adolescent in the first place and then having to deal with that as the only Black. And mm. so that was one perspective that, that, got created. And eventually I left California. I remember moving to Atlanta, Georgia. And for a black person who had grown up in predominantly white areas, one of the things that showed up was coming out of the airport in Atlanta, Georgia. I was afraid, Sorrell. It was really weird. Um, imagine wow. what it's like to walk out and see a lot of black people and all of a sudden, you know, have some sort of terror that you can't put your finger on it. You can't understand it. Now, I, I recognize it now as if you turn on the media, you know, the, the news, you know, the news is always showing you, you know, uh, black people killing someone or, you know, so, you, you know, I, I can I can appreciate how a white person's perspective, even a police officer's perspective is that there is danger in black people because they don't really spend time around black people. And, wow. you know. 
Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so glad you're sharing this because it, uh, it brings me back to my, uh, I guess, teenage years, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Here I am. I'm, uh, I land in Miami, Florida. Uh, I lived in North Miami as a Haitian teenager. And I remember this place called Liberty City. Mm. You know, the quote-unquote uh, uh, ghetto in Miami. That, that, that's where Luke comes from, right? Liberty City? Yeah, Luke Skywalker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, and, and you know what? I never set foot in Liberty City and never drove slowly through Liberty City. So, like, the same fear you're talking about that you can't explain, you can't put your finger on it. I experienced that too, and uh, now that you're mentioning it, it's not like it's not like the people are bad. It's that no. I had a point of view about myself and the people that actually uh, was at the source of the fear. Yeah, and that's what we react to. We don't actually react to the people; we react to our perception of those individuals, and that gives those actions give a whole world of things. Yeah. yeah. So in, in, yeah. in, in, in this sense, Ken, when you think about a group of people being progressive and another group being conservative, one group, the progressive, want things to move forward for people inside of a context called Black Lives Matter, and the mm-hmm. other wants to uh, keep the status quo. Are you thinking that even those positions are stemming from what we've learned from the media and what we inherited uh, from conversations we heard around us as we were growing up? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's not, it's the media, it's the conversations that we grew into. And I guess it's one of the points when people talk about the original sin, right, in this country of slavery. One of the biggest issues by not addressing it is that there is this undercurrent that there is a superiority in things that are white and there is um, there's just not a lot of value in things that are black. You look at post-Reconstruction when uh, in the South, uh, blacks came to power. And in ta Coates' book, uh, We Were 12 Years in Power, one of the things he talks about is the worst thing that happened to black America wasn't necessarily uh, that we went into government. It's that we did well in government because then that kind of crushes this whole idea. But, you know, to your point or to your more, more pointedly to your question, we grow up with all of those ideas. We look on TV, we, we, we hear the sayings, we use our language. It all kind of has this thing where it puts one group higher than another group. Now, if you're in that group that's higher, why would you want things to change? I mean, wouldn't you want it to stay the same? Wouldn't you want to stay in power? Why would you give it up? And yeah. if you go ahead. No, go ahead. Keep going. That, that was yeah, I was saying, and if you're in a group that has uh, you know, you, you you are at the effect of over policing, you're at the effect of uh, gerrymandering in your districts, you're at the effect of uh, not owning the neighborhoods that you're in, particularly because laws may be written or and not even now, but the laws were written, you know, a, a hundred years ago, seventy-five years ago, uh, which gave another group power over that community well yeah if you're the group uh, that's in power why would you want things to change and and i feel like that's one of the 
biggest places that we stand. And uh, even if individuals don't have a stake, like a financial stake, a direct financial stake in a neighborhood, it's at the core of their identity to be in the winning group or in, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, the winning group or the group that's on the short end, right? But if, if you're a white American, why would you concede power? And if you're a black American, why would you not want some of that power? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and here's the crazy thing, though. Notice in what we're saying, we're saying white America and black America. But if we yeah. really dissect it, the worst part about it is that neither one of those exists. There is no black America and there is no white America. There is this figment of our imagination that we, that, that we call that. Right. Or, or that we, we organize or group ourselves accordingly. We live our lives according to those constructs. But I promise you, if uh, someone came, God forbid, and started bombing uh, the U.S., would they really say I'm going to bomb white America as opposed to black America? Or if they were going to tank the U.S. economy, would they tank the white American economy versus the black American economy? Or, or would it be America as a whole? So how no, do we when, move? When, I'm sorry, go ahead. When, when, when you say it that way, um, you know, one could say that there is no difference. Really, it's all a figment of our imagination. Mm. And, however, the laws that were written into place, the structures, both social and economic, that are in place that keeps the favored favored and the disadvantaged disadvantaged the impact of those structures is real. Yes. I mean, gosh, you know, I drive down the street and you know how when you go down a hill and up a hill, uh, you can't really see what's on top of the hill until you mm -hmm. get there. Mm -hmm. And there's a police car camped out there. My yeah. heart skips a beat every time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? So uh, it, it's, it's real. So if I'm attached to the benefits that the privilege have, like I want them, uh, I'm going to keep fighting for justice. And if they're attached to the privileges they have, they're going to keep fighting to keep the structures the same. Mm -hmm. uh, how does anyone then find value in transcending the the, the benefits. I mean, will we always be at odds? What that's do you think? Such, that's such a great question, and it's 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 a question I actually struggle with, Sorrel. I I, um, I recently put a video uh, together. I went to Stone Mountain, and um, you know, in the video, I think that the, the gist of the video was if we if we were to acknowledge, we have all these Confederate monuments, right? And that's why it was done at Stone Mountain. I don't necessarily have a problem with the Confederate monument per se or pulling it down uh, because to me, that's just, it's, there was something that put up, it's a, it's a, it's a litmus test. It's a, it's a, it's a post of where we were historically when we put that up, that it's there changes nothing about the past and that we remove it changes nothing about the past. Right. And if we have that, we could also acknowledge, you know, um, uh, Black contributions. Let's put up some black monuments. I mean, to me, that'd be much better than tearing anything down, right? But inside of that, 
there's this huge gulf. I had a lot of um, uh, you know, folks, you know, white folks, black folks. I had a lot of people say, hey, that was a great message and really liked that message. And then there were a lot of folks that were really pushing against that message. And what I found myself doing was saying, well, you know, that video was put out to try to bridge some sort of a divide. And it really showed up to your point as, well, if you're not going to believe, if you're not going to listen to me, because I'm really telling you something real and honest and truthful, screw you. I don't want to have a conversation with you. <laughs> and to your point, how do we solve anything when, when we approach a conversation like, like, and what do I, what do I learn? And I'm going to, I just going to put it out there. If I'm having a conversation with someone who I perceive as bigoted and racist, what do I get to learn from someone that's bigoted and racist? Now, notice, I'm sorry, I'm answering my questions I'm talking to you because I'm noticing as I say that, there's a judgment, I guess, about who that person is. Yeah. yeah. And is, is that so, the act? Uh -huh. So there's like the opportunity for, for us to actually just be relating to to a point of view that that human being has and a point of view that I have just as a point of view. Because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm grappling with it too, Ken. So let me just kind of see if I can construct it in my head mm -hmm. and put it out in words, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there are structures that I grew up into that makes it real for me to drive up the top of that hill and have my heart skip a beat when I see a police car. So I'd love for that to go away. But those same structures benefit other people who look different than I do. And they're not going to do anything to have those structures go away unless I say something, right? Because mm -hmm. that's, that, that's where I have some power. So I'm thinking, how could I speak and say something that actually doesn't make it or them wrong for the existence of the structures? Because like you said earlier, those structures were there hundreds of years ago. They didn't put those structures into place. They're just benefiting from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those structures were here 100 years ago. I didn't put them in place. I'm just not benefiting from it. Mm -hmm. So in the end, you know, just two individuals working really hard to survive and get a fair shake in the world. So even though our views are different, I'm starting to see a glimmer of hope here that there could be reconciliation. Well, so here's the interesting thing, right? So if I'm following what you're saying, right, what you're creating, what you're saying is if you can begin to look at those structures simply as the structure and be responsible for your speaking, like what it's leading me towards is this whole idea, if I could share what my experience is like, right? I, I don't necessarily have to. Uh, introduce blame, shame, or guilt inside of that, but simply say, here's what the experience is like for me. Maybe you didn't know, right, when I'm sharing with someone else. And, you know, the thought here being, we're both human beings, someone else can recognize my humanity, that becomes this common point in which we can begin to have a conversation 
and gray. And what I'm left with, and this could be the cynical part of my brain, what I'm left with is, haven't we been doing that? Isn't that, isn't that what the civil rights movement has been about? Isn't that, you know, this conversation of uh, uh, when we kind of uh, surrender ourselves and say, here's our soul, does it not take another human being on the other side of that to not even necessarily reciprocate, but to stop being venomous? In if you don't have that, do you just keep going with surrender? Like, where does it, where do we go? Wow. I guess, you know, the, the first thing that comes to mind that's not funny, I've seen people on Facebook just post a phrase that says, it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It, 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 is. it really is. Uh, and, and if we're committed uh, to this work, that's the dilemma, Sorrel. If yeah. you're committed to this work, how do you, I, I, just for you, how do you stay pushing inside of this work, you know, given those realities? I'm thinking of it this way. There, there is first uncompromisingly uh, standing for what I say is justice and what I say is equality. So let's just uh, let me just express it from the realm of equality, right? Uh, it's it's that as a black person, quote unquote, I have the same opportunity that everybody else has, and the only thing I can do that I'm seeing right now is that. I myself, inside of the places where I have, quote unquote, dominion, it is then my duty to create opportunity that's equal for everyone mm. and to catch myself when I'm not doing that. And I'm saying that, Ken, because I'm, I'm discovering in this conversation that it's so easy to make it about me mm. in this construct. It's so easy to say, yeah, these darn laws were created way back when. And you know what? You ought to see it the way I see it. And you ought to relinquish your privilege. And you ought to create a fair space for me. And I think naturally that puts myself in the position of a victim. Like I'm a victim of these laws. I'm a victim right. of these structures. I'm a victim of you who has the privilege. And right. even as I'm saying that, I, I can feel uh, the the anger, disappointment that rises and wells up in me. And I, I'm now seeing this anger or resentment as uh, yet another way that I uh, hide my own victimhood. So, uh, you know, what I'm formulating right now, uh, maybe the only place where I do have control is to say, okay, I'm neither progressive nor conservative. I actually know what I want in life and I can stand for what I want in life. 
I actually do have something I stand for and I stand that way for others and I'm going to live my life that way. And given that, I am now a demand on the people around me to relate to me that way all the while not making a demand upon them to live as I do. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that made sense, Ken. Here's how it does, and, and I, how my brain receives that is that we tend to live in generalizations mm-hmm. and the lie and the victimization is in the generalization. Yeah. And the power is in the specific. And when I say specific, it's the specific law. It's the specific thing. It's the specific action that is within our dominion yeah. to take and create power and be a demand for that, you know, to, to, to alter that, to change that, right? In, in a specific yeah. instance. But the generalizations really, really get us caught Right. And and maybe it's that uh, in the back of my head when you were saying that one of the things that came to me was, you know, when I have some of these conversations and someone will see, you know, someone from the uh, conservative realm, not talking just, you know, conservative from the standpoint of I don't want the system to change. Right. Status quo. They may say, hey, um, uh, uh, you know, black people, uh, you, you, you all just tend to be victims. You're just victims and you want you know, white people to do things for you, which I categorically want to deny, right? Mm-hmm. And begrudgingly in listening you know, to this conversation as it plays in my head, I have to kind of agree to some extent to that, right? And it's, it's de facto. It's not like it's a place to run, but inside of the generalizations, yeah, on an individual level, what keeps Sorrell, what keeps Ken from progressing? Unless I'm dealing with a board of commissioners that's an all-white board of commissioners and hasn't passed my resolution and they've passed, right? Unless it's mm-hmm. that fine-grained and specific and I go to battle for that, we get lost in generalization, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's it's interesting because it's the it's 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 a a place of being disempowered. But that's what I hear when 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 I hear you creating or when I hear you talking about that. So uh, that that is that is cool. So so the thing that just came up for me as you said that is the stand I'm taking and the stance that I just expressed mm-hmm. is completely invalid unless I'm in action. Mm. A, creating structures where I have dominion to ensure equality and justice. And B, given that structures are literal, I mean, it's not a figment of, a, of my imagination yep. that there's this law on the books yep. and that this law requires X, Y, Z to be done. And when X, Y, Z is done, there is a group of people that are privileged and a group of people that are disadvantaged then I must also be in action, A, identifying these structures, and B, advocating for uh, reforming those structures, if not dismantling them and replacing them with structures that work for everyone. Do you realize I want to jump up and down on my chair right now, Sorrel? 
They really do. Well, you should be jumping up and down because in 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 a in a world where a I'm attached to wanting what works, and those who are privileged are attached to the status quo because that's how it is. And yet, what drives all of that are structures created ages ago that yep. we inherited. So there's a level of compassion that I can now have both for myself and for the quote unquote others. Mm. And yeah. in that, uh, I do have the, the opportunity and the possibility to create myself as, as, as justice and equality. Mm-hmm. Incarnate. Like and how I it am justice and equality. Mm-hmm. And the actions I take and the conversations I have create that. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. And it's 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 a great place to stand, right? As it's a, yeah. an empowered place. And, and you know what I can see for myself. Uh, what I can take on and really what, what I can give up is I can give up general conversations about empowerment. They're great, don't get me wrong, but they don't create anything. Like that's what I'm discovering inside of this conversation, that really our battles is in the realm of the specific. It's in the realm of equality and justice, rule by rule, item by item. Now, having said this, there's there's one thing that you know pops up in my mind here. I was actually reading a story about Wilmington, North Carolina, just a, a little while ago, and uh, they were talking about how after Reconstruction, uh, it was a, a, a black community that was doing really well, and um, it, there was a white supremacy agenda that was published, and essentially they said. Hey, even though there are freely elected blacks that are in this this group, we're going to go and 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 kind of dismantle that. We can't have that, right? White supremacy won't stand for that. And so, essentially, they they um, uh, killed. They say anywhere between uh, forty to sixty individuals. Took all the folks that were in power, forced them to resign, um, and and replaced them with all white members in all of the elected slots to Senate. Um, you know, school board, all of that. Um, and what shows up for me is, is, yeah, but how do we deal with something like that? But to your point, to this point, that's a very specific instance. So there's, there is actually a conversation that we could have very specifically to go redress and deal with that in that particular area, as opposed to this blanket statement, because I guess ultimately, even if I look at those folks that are saying, well, what do you want us white people to do? What, what do you want us to do? And we really don't have an answer. But if I were dealing in the specific, I could say, you know, in this area of North Carolina, here's what we want. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And, and, and you know, for fear of going back to the general, as you mentioned, I'm wondering if there is specificity in general. Here's what I mean. Uh, I'm saying it all wrong, but here it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, heads of corporations, heads of institutions, uh, heads of churches, uh, 
myself who heads a corporation, you who head uh, an organization called Inspired Direction, there is specificity for each of us mm-hmm. where we are. And say somebody says, well, what do you want me to do? I would say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to specifically go through your processes and procedures Mm -hmm. and uh, Mm -hmm. policies in your company in this institution, whether it be governmental, whether it be corporations or clergy, you name it. I Mm -hmm. want you to go through with a fine-tooth comb and look where what you have in place as a structure perpetuates inequality and injustice. And with the stroke of a pen, make it different. Yep. And that's specific, even in the that's, general. That's it's specific, specific. But it's yep. specific to all of us. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I guess when uh, the, the idea of actually me or you or somebody like Al Sharpton or Jesse Jackson or another civil rights leader uh, a la NAACP looking for specific instances of injustice that make the news, quote unquote, right? Mm-hmm. And then we go, we'll take that specific and get it redressed and get made that, make that right. Uh, I'm thinking, gosh, man, that'll take forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there is this well- one one fell swoop, uh, one giant stroke of a pen where uh, corporate captains and governmental leaders take it upon themselves to uh, get inside of what we're we're creating here. Yeah, well, and and even in in, in those, I mean, how many hundreds of corporations do we have, right? Thousands of corporations, right? Yeah. Uh, and going through and having those conversations, you know, but we didn't get here overnight. Yes. Yeah. Not like and we, we won't just, and we won't get out of it overnight either. <laughs> that's it. You know, and, and, and if you remember in our original conversation, that was that was one of the things when I asked you the question about having, you know, uh, folks from, uh, you know, from an opposing viewpoint on, on, on the panel. Right. Having them there will when I asked by having them there, I was looking for a quick fix answer of how do I get somebody like that to listen to me? I don't want to have to go through all the work. I don't want to have to do all the digging and all the blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Right. Can't we just, can't we just hit the easy button for this? Um, and I guess if there were easy button, we wouldn't be in this situation, right? We would not be here. That is, that is so crazy. Well, you know, here we are. This conversation, we we could we could take it and go down this rabbit hole as far as we could. Mm-hmm. But at this juncture, uh, Ken, uh, what could you say is new for you, given this conversation? What's uh, new for me? What's new, or or what? course of action or ways of being, I, I don't know how to phrase it, but wh- where do we go from here? 
Yeah, so so here's what I hear newly inside this conversation. And, you know, to be clear, I'm extremely empowered, right? I'm ex- excited when I said I wanted to jump on my chair. I'm excited in that I have somewhere to go. Uh, and what I mean by that is we tend to get bogged down in these general conversations. That's where things go left. I can look at the conversations that I have and, you know, someone will post a picture of, uh, you know, uh, 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 a white person in a black community getting assaulted and say, see, right? And then uh, we'll post a picture of a police officer attacking a black person and we'll say, see, the fallacy or the, the, the problem with that underneath is that what we're trying to do is to draw a general conclusion about a very specific instance. And what I'm clear about now is for myself, from a standpoint of getting triggered, that's one of the things that now is put in place for me is that when I see that, my first question is, tell me specifically about what happened there. I need to know the specifics because the generalizations are where we're getting into the issues. I, you know, that's the problem we have when, um, uh, you know, white people will general, I only say just, I will just say when anyone generalizes about another group, what we call racism. Yeah. That's it. Right. And you know what you're saying here, you know, it is dangerous to generalize that way because you end up with good cops getting in trouble mm-hmm. and bad people getting away with a crime. Yep. And yep. vice versa. And it all works to perpetuate uh, the divide between quote unquote progressive and conservative. And we can never get anywhere because we're not talking about anything. We're talking about these generalities which don't exist. <laughs> so, so I can get what I can be accountable and responsible for moving forward is that um, I can do the work of being specific to transform this world into the world that I want by dealing with each uh, uh, instance as it comes. Now, that may have a ripple effect. Great. And I'm not going to you know, make this mistake or I'm going to stay away from this maker or I'm going to call you when I get into this whole realm of uh, being upset by the generalities um, yeah. because the, the specific is where our work is. It's not in the general. That's what I'm left with. That's what I hear newly inside this conversation. Yeah, and uh, I, I get this new realm myself. And inside of that new realm, uh, and in your listening, Ken, I am declaring this. Uh, I am justice. I am equality. And in dealing in the realm of specifics, uh, I'm going to go through with a fine-tooth comb uh, at the policies, procedures, and processes in my company to see where there is structural injustice and inequality and eradicate that. And I, like you said, it, it, it won't happen overnight and I'm committed to that work now. And I'm also committed to wherever I am with the head of a corporation, the head of an institution, uh, you know, the head of a church, uh, our government officials that I will be having a conversation uh, not to encourage, but to actually 
get someone to say, yeah, I see it. I mm. too can deal in what's specific. And now in my dealings on a day-to-day -day basis, I'm going to go through with a fine-tooth comb to root out structures that perpetuate injustice and inequality and eradicate them. And, and, and I'll ask for the relationship where I'm going to say, uh, can I check in with you on a regular basis to see how that's going? What's the next action you're going to take? What do you intend to produce with that? And how will we together know that you've made the difference? Mm. I'm promising that. That's beautiful, Sorrel. That's amazing. It's inspiring. Yeah. And, and, and. So uh, here we are, Ken. Uh, we're, we're nearing the end of the conversation. Can, can I fire three rapid fire questions that you, you know, because I'm, I'm committed that people know you as mm. someone who is committed to something bigger than yourself, which you are. Yeah. And, and that your success in life is that your life and your work make the difference for your company, inspired direction, your family and your community. Uh, I acknowledge you as a voice of transformation, my friend. So here are the three rapid fire questions. Yep. What's your biggest fear? Uh, my biggest fear is my life won't matter. Got it. <laughs> and uh, what's your biggest dream? Mm. Ooh, it's really great. Uh, my biggest dream is um, that people, wow, huh. So my biggest dream would be that um, everyone that I come in contact with be left um, uh, empowered by just, by who I get to be with them, right? That I would be able to be that type of a person that would leave that type of a legacy, that type of an impact. Actually, I can even boil it down simpler than that. My biggest dream is that when I'm passed away, that when uh, the hearse leaves the church to go to the cemetery, that the line is like two miles long. That's my biggest dream. And the line would have been two miles long because? Of who people knew me as, what I was able to do with folks. I got it. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Love it, love it. And uh, last but not least, your greatest love. Mm, what is my greatest love? Definitely uh, Latoya, who's um, my fiance. Uh, this is, uh, I didn't find unconditional love before I met her. So she is absolutely my greatest love. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what are you most grateful for? Uh, I'm most grateful for my family. Uh, grateful for me. And when I say family, my nuclear family, um, both sides of my family, like the roots that they laid down, um, what they 
created for me, uh, for my brothers and sisters, uh, and just, you know, who we get to be in this world. I'm just so thankful that um, I had an opportunity to learn how to be in existence inside of them because uh, they, you know, just showed me so many different great things. Well, Ken, thank you for sharing your fear, your love, your dream, your gratitude, and certainly your voice. And uh, on this episode of Voices of Transformation, I, I pray that uh, this conversation touches people in the world in the way that you intended and that I intended. And in creating that intention is that uh, people have the freedom be where they are and people have the courage to do what must be done mm. just be uh, I forgot the way my friend phrased it but uh, my friend John Grant is uh, former president though one of the blind men of Atlanta said it this way in a question he says what kind of human are you being? Mm. And it is my hope that this conversation triggers that question in the minds of everyone who listens to this podcast. Like, what kind of human am I being? And go from there and deal with the specifics that are perpetuating injustice and inequality or that can free us from that and create justice and equality in the world. I, I honor you, Ken. I love you. I thank you for spending this time with me and um, look forward to having the, our next conversation. Thank you so much for just the opportunity to be here and really who you are for the world, Sorrel. Um, you are um, a really great man, and, and, and I use those words very specifically, a great man, uh, someone that is concerned about others, and uh, it's easy to have a surface level concern for people where uh, you can walk by them and, you know, like I said, you have a very surface level concern. And then there's the type of concern that you have where uh, you're keen listening in the way that you listen to people uh, and your willingness to stand for them, whether um, uh, they're excited about it or not. Um, it's just a tremendous amount of love. And I thank you for that. And I thank you for your listening. I thank you for the opportunity to be with you. Mm, uh, thank you for the acknowledgement, Ken. And right back at you, my friend. Uh, let's, uh, let's keep it going. Uh, let's stay in touch. Uh, you're welcome on Voices of Friends. Maybe anytime, brother, just let me know when. And uh, wishing you all the best in all your endeavors. And uh, certainly, uh, we need to talk. Yeah, we need to have conversations like this outside of this uh, venue. And, yeah. Uh, just keep yeah. it going. Well, let's, let's do that. I would enjoy that. I would love that. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Voices of Transformation. This is Sorel Ketan, your host. Until next time.